Hello, welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay. I'm joined this week by Samuel Luckhurst as we look back on United's beat to Arsenal and we can finally say United's hopes of Champions League football are gone for this season. We'll look at what that means for United ahead of the summer as well with Eric Ten Hag's appointment confirmed last week. Samuel, you were there at the Emirates on Saturday. As always, I sort of joke you had the pleasure, you had the displeasure of being there in North London. What did you make of it and what have you made of that? Was that sort of a capitulation of, or maybe even a summarisation of United's season that ironically it was probably the best they played for a few weeks and they still managed to lose? Yes, I, I think a lot of United fans are probably uh, feeling the way John Coleman did the Acton Stanley manager after that. Uh, FA Cup tie a few a couple of years ago about how he was felt physically sick. He's rapidly falling out of love with football. He wonders what's what's the point. I think that's what he said verbatim at the time. But that they did in an attacking capacity at least. They they were pretty proactive and they had half a dozen great chances without even mentioning the penalty there. I, I'd say. Um, I mean, you only have to look at the Premier League table now, and when you see that Arsenal are fourth. That's that is a true reflection of how substandard this. It's I can't remember the description you used it last week, but it's not a race for fourth. It's it's who gets fourth by default effectively, and this is not a good Arsenal team. It's it's got maybe half a dozen good players at the most, but th- th- they were massively let off the hook by United at the weekend. Um, I mean, most teams if they score against United in the first five minutes, they then go on and give them a hiding, and within not even ten minutes of that first goal going in. So really, United were, were actually doing all right and, and creating chances and, and should have been level. But that profligacy has been a recurring theme this season, particularly since the season restarted in, in February after the January internationals. It started immediately with that Middlesbrough FA Cup defeat. The, that game alone, they had you know enough chances to win a month full of games. Uh, it was a similar story uh, somewhat on 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 Saturday, but they, they conceded more goals and, and obviously ended up losing the game. I mean, defensively, that you've, you've done a piece on it this morning and I think that they are probably going to break the the record from the 2018-19 season of how many goals they've conceded in, in, in a top-flight league campaign. Um, that's, that's going to be the worst, you would think, since the 78-79 season. And even then, they still reached an FA Cup final under Dave Sexton uh, in that famous five-minute final. But I suppose it was the best that Harry Maguire had had played all season, really, or for a long time, at least. And he was just sat on the bench watching Rafael Varane flail at the ball. Alex Tellez, it's just a disaster on on a weekly basis. But this is the problem. Rangnick is, is having to play certain players by default because everyone, apart from the goalkeeper and the striker, are out of form at the moment. And it's you're just going from one under underachieving or underperforming player to another underperforming player um, every game. I mean, everybody knew Rashford would be dropped. Everybody knew that there would be a change at fullback. Um, th- there was clearly a conscious effort, I think, on by Maguire's team to try and soften what was an outright demotion. They tried to portray it as a rest. Rangnick even used the word rest as well. I I don't think you need to be um, trying to soften it. It, He he was dropped. He had to be dropped after the the Liverpool game. And Nemanja Matic is one of United's more respectable performers. He's leaving. It's, you know, 
of, of all the recent defeats, it, it wasn't quite the mess it was at Anfield or as finalists as United were at Everton. And certainly at full time, looking at the away supporters, there was appreciation for, for the way that they performed by and large. But there are still massive issues that um, come to the fore in, in a game like that, where ordinarily you'd go walk away from it thinking, you know, they that there was an element of progress there somewhat as far as the performance was concerned. But even Rangnick afterwards, he, he was still cutting loose a little bit and just pretty much saying that not all the players were pressing enough. Um, and and we, we'd all stopped, stopped uh, asking about pressing because we all know that this team just doesn't have it in them to, to do it. But he, he brought it up unprompted. And I think on another day, it would have been a more, uh, a more newsworthy quote if, if you didn't have the issue of the rather questionable refereeing and, and some of the other subplots in the game, as, as well as what you know, Paul Scholes relayed that Jesse Lingard had told him about the dressing room. Exactly. It had sort of all the effort you could make, really, of turmoil. I didn't, like you said, it had chaos on the pitch, off the pitch, dressing room unrest, poor refereeing decisions. And I was going to maybe ask you on the refereeing decisions as well. I mean, mm. how important a topic do you think they are after a game like that? Because obviously they did have maybe, you can't maybe say they had an impact on the result because Fernandez still missed the penalty which United were given. So you can't say guaranteed that if the one which should have been given, I think, in the first half was given that you know, United do win the game anyway. There's the you know a few dubious decisions. I think Ranić questioned four of them, didn't he, at the end of the game. Do you think that that is something that is worth discussing and you can understand why Rannick would bring it up or do you think ultimately United were just second best on the day and, you know, it summed up their season and not been good enough to get a top four finish and they can't really blame anyone other than themselves for that? Well, he, he outlined them in, in an articulate way as as is his nature. Certainly watching the game, you know, we're, we're impartial in the press box covering matches and, even I started sensing that there wasn't there was something all right with the way that Craig Pawson was was officiating the game. Um, even with the first goal, uh, it, it was wasn't related to the referee, but I think about ten or fifteen seconds before Tavares scored, when the first ball came over to Saka, we were right in line with him, and he looked offside. And of course, the linesman didn't flag for it. Um, I'd be interested to see it back. It, again, it wasn't that contentious a decision that match of the day or Monday night football are, are going to check on it. They're, they've got bigger fish, fish to fry than um, that. And in fact, also United had how many chances to actually clear their lines and get the ball back up the pitch. And I was, after the ball had come to Saka and it went back to, I think it went back to Tavares, it was almost as if they tried to repeat the drill. Um I was wondering, like, is this going to cost United? Are they going to get a foot to the ball? And of course, they didn't at all. Um, but I mean, with the with, with the Elanga uh, shout that United had for a penalty, um, I, I wasn't too sure about that. I think I, I don't know which one he was referring to, whether it was the first half or the second half. The second half one I thought was a foul. It was. It, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably one of those things that might get. Uh, looked at Monday Night Football after the Anthony Gordon incidents in, in the Liverpool Everton game. But the second one looked like a foul. It might not have been inside the area or whether it carried into the area. The, the handball in the first half was a joke. I, I don't know what the VAR was was doing there. It was uh, as, as dozy as United's defending. Um, with the offside, Rangnick was suggesting that the lot, there was an issue with the lines being drawn. And, and again, this is... When we, when we first looked at the replay, it thought, even without the lines, it looked like, well, Ronaldo's offside there. And you're, you're also trying to kind of like tilt your head so you're parallel in uh, the way the pitch should be. But it's, again, 
I think that they're all, I think the um, the referees and the officials they are muddying the waters there a bit because I can't remember who said it earlier in the season. It might have been um, the chap at ESPN who who does the like the VAR Monday briefings, and the, the topic's been raised about the thickness of the lines that are drawn and how thick should they be. And when you get into that stuff, you think, oh god, like we could do it without this. And there were some inordinate VAR weights, but the start of the season. It was very clear the headline on the Times that I read that Mike Riley was saying, you know, the toenail offsides weren't weren't going to exist anymore, and so that's going to be something that I I imagine because they they still exist. I think Richarlison was penalised against Arsenal for one back in back earlier in the season at Goodison, where I, I thought it should have been given, but because his toenail was offside, it, it wasn't given. Sometimes it's a kneecap, sometimes it's a fingernail. It's it's preposterous, but. Um, you know, United were somewhat unfortunate there. Uh, but as you said, like with the penalty, because Fernandez did miss a penalty and they did get a penalty in the second half, you didn't really have a lot of time for the, the complaining about that. The bigger issue about that was why why didn't Ronaldo take it? And Rangnick said that Ronaldo told him he didn't feel like he should take and that Fernandez should take it, which is, is, is really strange. Ronaldo was United's best player. On Saturday, he was, you know, head and shoulders above everyone. I think everybody in the away end where that, that penalty was being taken right by them were expecting him to take it. I can only think that because he missed against Middlesbrough in regulation time, which was the last time United got a penalty, that they rotated it back to Fernandez. But you, you think of Ronaldo's belief, you'd imagine that he would he would step up and, and take that. Uh, so a colleague of ours, Charlotte Dunker tried to ask him about it with Mixone afterwards because Mixone's were open again. And uh, he, he gave a pretty short shrift, unsurprisingly. He was never going to stop to talk. He's, he's not been speaking very much at all in recent months, I think for, for rather obvious reasons, uh, given the way it's gone at United. Uh, but, but again, coming back to the referee, I, I mean, Paulson is one of those officials that I've, I've wondered for a while, um, you know, why is he getting so many big games but the, the trouble is the standard is so is so dreadful with the referees that you've got Stuart Atwell uh, doing a Merseyside derby and although you could understand why he didn't give Anthony Gordon a, a penalty in the first half the second half yesterday he was clearly being influenced by the crowd and you could see his body language at times he was being influenced by the crowd as well but Pawson has I've, I've never seen him and thought he's a very good official um i think he does like the camera being on him as well and unfortunately well fortunately mike dean is this is his last season refereeing so that's the good news the unfortunate news is that someone will look to fill that that void of him prancing about and just you know irritating uh, pure football followers in general and, and that person may well be craig paulson and he came up with that performance on saturday having just been given the, the fa cup final to referee so uh just yeah, there there isn't a single good referee in the Premier League, and unfortunately, we just have to we have to get used to that and and try not as not not try not to expend as much oxygen as I just have talking about. <laughs> yeah, as as someone who supports a lower league club, we've learned that no matter what the result is, just there's no point discussing the referee because yeah. it's, it's only newsworthy when the referee's good. That that's the whole point. You almost have to interpret that most of the time they are going to be bad, and there's going to be so much scrutiny as well over the mistakes they make. So you mentioned there the individual performances, and you said at the start as well, you know De Gea and Ronaldo opposite ends of the pitch, but they're the only two players really who are 
who making United fans proud at the moment with their displays on it. What have you made then of this demise of Bruno Fernandes and, you know, summed up by that penalty miss, some wayward shots. Again, you know, he always tries the risky passes. He plays in those margins. That is, you know, what made him so brilliant when he first came to United because no one else was doing that. But what do you make of his role in the United team? And, you know, obviously, ever since he's been given this contract, the, there's been even maybe less motivation for him to have to prove himself on the pitch. What do you think the sort of solution is going to be of him? And do you think long-term he is someone who can fit under the new regime, under Eric Ten Hag? The timing of the contract was just bizarre. Um, and and that's, that has aged very, very badly, very, very quickly. If, if you had a credible director of football or technical director and you were you know, fielding uh, queries from finances representatives who have not got particularly uh, great reputations in, in the agency industry, it was, it was George Mendes who, you know, got United on, put United on the path to signing him in January 2020. If they come and they look for a salary raise, a director of football should be telling them no, because he's got this long his contract, which was um, to, what was it, 2026 at the very latest with the plus one. His performance level has been poor. Come back to us when he, he can, you know, he's performing consistently and he can also master controlling games. But no, this is this is Man United. They they act very, very differently and they cannot go a single year without an ill-timed or unnecessary contract. Last year it was it was Eric Bailly and, and he's played fewer games this season for United than the Cote d'Ivoire. And unfortunately for United, Fernandez has been noticeably worse since they announced that contract. He he plays a false nine against Leicester and just the way he okay, it's not his expertise, that's that's not the way he plays usually, but you would think a footballer as intelligent as him has an understanding of how to play it. And he didn't, he just dropped deep and then he would just hit pop shots looking for players playing on teammates playing on the shoulder. Uh, Everton, everyone was dreadful. Norwich, I'm struggling to think of him doing much at all. And then, of course, we've just had the recent games. And I don't think it's a coincidence that when you go back to the behind-closed-doors era, he had all those penalties. He only missed one, which was against Newcastle, and he scored 19. He's had two in regulation time this season, and he's missed both of them. And he's missed them pretty badly. The, the one at the weekend wasn't as bad as Villa, but I mean, Aaron Ramsdale made it easy for him as well. He died very, very early. And again, expectations raised, crowds back in. Look what happens. The only thing Fernandes has raised this season has been his salary. And he, he shouldn't be untouchable in this United team. Not now, not under Ten Hag. There, there's, I mean, it is conceivable to see him not... Um, it's conceivable to see Ten Hag not having any room for him. Uh, I don't think it will necessarily be like that at the start. I think a hell of a lot would have to happen in the next um, four or five months for Donny van der Beek to somehow be starting ahead of Fernandes at the start of next season. But it's not its not beyond the realms of possibility. And, again, I mean, he, he's got to... I mean, Fernandes, obviously, this season, he's had a couple of social media posts where it's just the generic nonsense. And then he's pretending he's Gabriel Martinelli or his media team think he's Gabriel Martinelli. Um, with with that gaff, but it, it it would be good for us to actually be able to ask him ab- about the time of the contract and his form since then, because it, he does owe an explanation for that to to the United supporters. 
because it's 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 been very noticeable. He's been poor all season. I, I was saying back in December that he should have been dropped, and he did get dropped. And it did jolt him. He came on against Wolves. He did all right. Should have scored. Then he scored a couple at Villa the following week as well. Um, but that was that was just short term gain, and it's been long term pain, unfortunately. And you know, up, up until a point, I think his his numbers have excused him this season. And, and again, I can see United's decision makers falling into that trap of looking at 22 goal contributions, stuff like that, when, let's face it, he has stunk the place out for pretty much the majority of this season. Yeah, the sort of nonsense such as we scouted the play in 2014 for Galatasaray, which sort of brings <laughs> me on to my next point, Samuel. And okay. <laughs> you, you mentioned it as well here, though, haven't you, that it's almost as soon as a player gets too comfortable on the team that you can really see those performances drop. We've seen it in defence, we've now seen it with Bruno Fernandes and Maguire, but particularly now at fullback as well. And there is no right answer, is there, for United at fullback no. because everyone's got their, their own errors at the moment. Obviously, Luke Shaw's out to the end of the season. So, you know, Rennick's hands are tied to, to a degree, but as someone, and we've both been able to watch the, the youth teams this season, surely it's a matter of time for United finally. There's, there's no Champions League football now. You can't try and push that narrative of, well, it's not mathematically impossible. This could happen, that could happen. United are out of the Champions League. They've almost got nothing to lose in these final few games of the season. Surely this is the time for some of the more promising youngsters to get a chance rather than people who are only going to leave this summer anyway. And there are players who don't want to be there and others who aren't even part of the long-term plan. Do you actually think that will happen in these next few games? I mean, Chelsea game on Thursday looks like you could be throwing a few under the bus, actually, if you put them in there. But it makes more sense to play someone like Alvaro Fernandez and Alex Teller, surely, on, on recent form. It, it does. I think it is a matter of time till they get opportunities. It it might not be on, on Thursday, uh, but certainly by the time of Brighton away and Palace away, mathematically, I think they will be done for. It's... Europa League or Europa Conference League that they're staring down the barrel at. With Tellez, just, just even looking at his breakdown of um, appearances this season, he, he didn't get a look in under Solskjaer. He didn't start in the league under him this season, which doesn't reflect brilliantly on Solskjaer, given that he signed him. And when he did come into the team, which was right at the start of Carrick's caretaker spell and under Rangnick, he was quite positive. He was pretty steady. He was he was offering quite a lot. He looked up for it. And he managed to sustain that until he got back in the Brazil squad. And it just seems to me, looking at it, that this is a player who is only invested in playing for his national side. Uh, he, he doesn't really before? care. Yeah, he doesn't really care how Man United do as long as he gets his quota of games, which this season, certainly since Solskjaer was sacked, it's, it's been impossible not to because Shaw's had a number of injury issues. He's likely not to play again this season. Uh, Shaw's form has not been good as well. There was a period where, where he was dropped so Tellez, and, and Tellez was playing quite well. So Tellez has you know, he's had that fulfilling playing time and got back into the Brazil squad and he's just got comfortable now. Um, it, he, he must have known watching at Anfield. Well, I'm back in on, on Saturday, so that's another game. Uh, he, he might be out of the side this week. He might not be because the alternative is playing Dallo at left back and Wangasaka at right back. Look how badly that went to Anfield, albeit with a back three. You'd imagine United would play with a back four against Chelsea. But again, it's just another misstep by by the scouts. And I mean, if anything, I think the, the online fan base should feel a bit more embarrassed than the scouts because I, I remember how um, 
how excited they were and how insistent they were that United sign this Brazilian defender who was playing for Porto. I mean, there, there are red flags there just, just in that sentence. And as we've gone through it before, this nonsense about, oh, we scouted, we, we first saw him at Galatasaray in 2014 and then we've tracked him all the way since. When Jose Mourinho was looking to replace Luke Shaw, he was looking at Alexandro, Kieran Tierney, Danny Rose, uh, Ryan Sessegnon. Nobody was mentioning Alex Tellers whatsoever. There was no concrete interest there at all. And that's just been another another bad signing. And unfortunately, there are, that squad is teeming with players who are more invested in playing for their country than their club. I'm not, I'm not saying it should be more with one than the other, but it's got to be equal. There's got to be a, a consistent commitment there. I th- you get it with Fred. Fred's Brazilian. He's very he's very close with Tellers as well. They're they're good friends in the United squad, uh, and obviously they play at international uh, level as well. But Fred has been has been one of the few respectable performers this season. So it's not impossible to to have that mentality. But in Tellers's case, he probably can't believe his luck that he, he got his move to United and. Yeah, I don't see how you can you can hold back some of these youngsters much longer, and and that's up the other end as well because Rangnick is rotating Elanga and, and Rashford. It seems it seems one of them plays every other game, and he's not really getting a tune out of either of them at the moment. So you have to wonder when when's the time going to come for Garnacho to get an opportunity. Fernandez, I wouldn't even have played him at, at Arsenal, but I suspect he'll continue for the time being even though he, he should be taken out of that team I'd, I'd much rather see what Hannibal Meshbury has to offer as a, as a starter in a first team game and these four games coming up they're against very varied teams Chelsea obviously Champions League finals last year got to the two cup finals this year great coach in charge uh, really good squad of players even though it's, it's tailed off a little bit recently there are reasons for that but when you look at the way they performed against Real Madrid in, in the Bernabeu that's a hell of a challenge Brentford are a good intense side um, with the emphasis on the collective they, they've scouted really well championship standard players with the Premier League ceiling they've, they've been one of, the, one of the success stories of the season Brighton are a good footballing side Palace a little bit more physical but still some good players um, it's, it's proper men's football uh, and you're coming up against quality of, of different levels across all four of those matches and you expose those youngsters uh, in those games at a time where there's not there's not really a lot to lose at all because they're not going to get in the Champions League. I just think it makes complete sense. I think you've, you've got to draw a line under some, some careers at United, even though Rangnick's not going to make that decision. Some of those decisions effectively have already been made for Ten Hag. Yeah, and bringing us on to that as well, Sam, who's on the line today saying that you know a few players, obviously, I mean, everyone knows that Ten Hag's influence is going to be important in deciding what happens with a few of the players. Obviously, some of them leaving for free at the end of the season already. Lots of others with question marks next to them. One of which is Marcus Rashford. You've already reported that you know he was considering his future at United. What is the latest on Marcus Rashford? And is it a sort of familiar, familiar feeling we're in the rest of the squad that players just want some sort of clarity off Ten Hag about what his plans are and what promises he can make to them? Yeah, certainly. It's it's not exclusive just to Rashford. The, Diego Dallo is another one whose contract, I think, is exactly the same in that it expires next year, but he's got the plus one option. With, with players of... Um, of, of that profile, I think Dallow's 23, Rashford's 24. United are not going to be um, 
leaving those one-year extensions dormant, it, it, it doesn't make sense from a business or a football perspective at all. So those those extensions will eventually be triggered unless the, the players have agreed new contracts before then. But I think when it comes to whether United draft up or discuss a potential new contract for those players, that, that has to be Ten Hag say so. But, but that is something that needs, needs to be um, asked of Rangnick. The, the contract strategy at the club uh, is clearly taken out of the manager's hands. There, there are too many examples where a player has got a new contract. It happened on Solskjaer's watch when he was caretaker. Phil Jones got a new contract. Fernandes has got a new contract with Rangnick as the interim. Um, other contracts, Eric Bai being an example last year. When, when Solskjaer was asked about the possibility of what he was, I think, asked him just about Bai's future in general, he was the one who mentioned his, his poor appearance record. And that was, of course, then reflected by a three-year renewal, which is very, very rare um, for, for someone who's in their 20s at Man United. Normally, it's four years minimum. I actually agree that it should probably just be a three plus one option now because you're keeping players on their toes and they're not going to get comfortable on big, long contracts. I think Maguire got a six-year plus one. Um, Fernandez was a five-year plus one initially until he just added a year on uh, and, and boosted his salary. So I think that's something to look at. But the manager clearly has not had a right to veto some of those contracts in recent years. And in Rashford's case, I think... You know, he completely sees you know, with 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 uh, Rangnick. I think he's started less than half of Rangnick's games in charge. Uh, he's only scored twice under Rangnick. His best spell of form this season was when he came back and got, I think, was it three goals in his first four games back under Solskjaer. And he thought, hopefully, this is a sign of things to come, and he's over his uh, his, his issues. But it's it's been a, a dreadful season for him. And he just wants clarity on the matter. And, and it's vital as well that Ten Hag isn't starting on, on July the 1st. He's starting before then. They're, they're not repeating the mistake they made when uh, when Moyes became United manager uh, in 2013 and, and literally just started on July the 1st. And the way he operated, he gave the impression he hadn't done any due diligence up until that point, even though he had all of June off as well. And... Obviously, Rashford will need clarity. There are a lot of other players who need that conversation as well. It, it, it will it will almost be like players being summoned to the headmaster's office, you'd imagine, in June or July time. Um, but I think that's going to be something that Ten Hag has to address as soon as possible. I, I think delaying it, allowing players to go on holiday um, and then coming back in and being told whether they're wanted or not or this is the situation with their future... It's, it's not ideal. United are due to travel to Thailand, I think, on July the 8th. Um, the season starts under a month later. You want Ideally, you want players to be going away to the beach with their agents working in the background, um, trying to find a club, trying to you know, get a package sorted for them so that they can, they can be moved on because it's in the interests of, of the club and numerous players in that squad. But whether United operate that way, it, it remains to be seen. Uh, I'm, I'm sure Ten Hag will want some some downtime of some sort, but he, he is going to have to hit the ground running. And, and that means you know, pretty much starting the, the day after his Ajax contract is, is shredded.
Yeah, absolutely. And as you said as well, numerous times, Samuel, with the, the new season starting a bit early as well, time really is of the essence for United. And we've heard it all before, haven't we? Certainly saying it's a massive summer ahead, but this really is. And United need to finally, you know, change their spots, really. They need to prove that they can do something differently and actually give the manager the power and the time that he needs to do that. Um, another line that we've done today, our colleague Tyrone, who's not here today, um, wrote that you know United players are encouraged by the coaching credentials of Eric Ten Hag, but there is a bit of concern around the dressing room whether he has the personality to enforce the change that is required this summer at Old Trafford. I guess this is a question for you as well, Samuel, that, you know, he's so popular on social media and any sort of questioning of Ten Hag's credentials can often get you some uh, irate responses, can't it? But it's a valid, very valid concern to have. Does he actually have that authority and the personality to take charge? And do you think that that is a, a big obstacle as well, that he has to try and you know, lay down a law straight away on this side that's got so many egos in it? Well, uh, certainly researching him in the last couple of weeks and speaking to some people who, who know him as well, I, I'm more... It's, it's probably a little bit more reassuring in terms of how he's going to handle that dressing room because he's been described as a disciplinarian, a control freak. I'm sure a lot of supporters have seen the footage of him uh, berating a, an Ajax player. The, the footage was from, from a couple of seasons ago, but the, the context to it was more fascinating, which was that this player was was bombed out of the, um, the, the club the following month. He was sent on loan to Twente and then he was sold... Um, later on that year to, to Club Brugge, I think the, the player's name was Noah Lang. And only at the start of that of this month where he had this exchange with Ten Hag that was captured on film, he, he became Ajax's first, the first Ajax player in 60 years to score a hat-trick on their full league debut, uh, came through the Ajax Academy. So you're thinking he's going you know, to be entitled to some slack, uh, but no, I mean, there's this this obviously this clip of Ten Hag where he tells him to shut up, and it's not all about him; it's about the team. Uh, the translation is is completely correct as well. I actually spoke to a, a friend who studied studied in Holland during uh, his his university days, and he managed to you know confirm that, that there were no issues there at all. It wasn't like people just making up a meme of Ten Hag and trying to depict him as more of an authoritarian than than he is. So that's something that United need. I mean, if he's going to shout like that at some some Dutch kid who, who nobody outside of Amsterdam has really heard of, then he's probably going to lose his voice shouting at Fernandez, telling him to give it a rest because Fernandez was at it again at the weekend, you know, cocking up a, a short corner by punting out for a goal kick, and then apparently it was Alex Tellers's fault. Probably the only thing that Tellers wasn't at fault for on the day, but again, there, there's not been that discipline from the touchline for a very, very long time. Um, an interim manager was never going to have it. Solskjaer never had it um, because they'd already eroded the manager's authority before he even came in. And even when he was my permanent manager, he still didn't have it. So it's, yeah, it is interesting reading um, all these pieces and speaking to people about Ten Hag. And it does paint a different picture um, than the one we've become accustomed to in England, where I think he's just seen as, a good coach, um, you know. There, I suppose there was a point where you wondered whether United would still give him the title of manager or not, because you know he, he was just renowned as a coach. But United feel the manager should always be the manager. I think that's the right thing to do as well. And obviously they'll have done their due diligence with Ten Hag and spoken to him, and they they might have even seen this clip as well of, of him and having a go at Noah Lang from from those um, two seasons ago. 
And I, I, despite all that, I still think that it's it's a very coherent argument to suggest that Pochettino is the more suitable manager. I've I've always been quite consistent with that, um, and, and thinking that way. He's managed more egos. Just look at that PSG dressing room. The, the Tottenham dressing room as well was was not short of egos. There were players. I mean, he was there when Danny Rose came out with a quote about having to Google some of the players Tottenham were signing. Um, Deli Ali was yeah. is an interesting personality. Uh, Harry Kane has has always generated interest. That there were players who were trying to go at certain points. Christian Eriksen was one. Uh, I think eventually he left after. Pochettino had left only a couple of months. Toby Alavaro was another player looking to leave. Eric Dyer was another player looking to leave. He he somehow managed to keep that that dressing room together for much longer than anticipated, with with the glaring exception of Kyle Walker, who they who they did sell to Tottenham when sorry not to Tottenham to Manchester City when when City came calling. And Ten Hag again, you look at the Ajax team at the weekend. There are six Premier League rejects in it. And I don't think you can underestimate that because it's a reflection of the standard he is, he is operating in currently in the Eredivisie. But as you say to, to the online crowd, it's almost as if that, that should never even be mentioned. As far as they're concerned, he manages a great club at Ajax. He gets them playing good football and he wins things, which of course are three important factors behind United's decision to bring him in. But he's going to be in for a culture shock. You, you talk to people at the club and... They know that he he however much preparation he can do, he cannot prepare himself enough for it because nobody can. You you have to have pretty much lived and breathed Man United all your life to know what the size of it is like. When Alex Ferguson came down from Aberdeen, he was just muttering to himself. Brian Robson was saying just how big the place was. He he was overwhelmed by it, and obviously he had time and circumstances are different now, but. As long as Ten Hag gets that total authority um, that he has final say on the, the things that he should have final say on, then he's he's got the best platform, um, best possible platform at United anyway to to try and and succeed and to try and make them a, a credible and competitive force again. Uh, but it, I don't I I don't think it's particularly um, I don't think it's a particularly big issue that a lot of the players still look at Pochettino and think he was more suitable or that he's, you know, his clout would have, would have been preferable to 10 hogs. I think some are open-minded. You're not going to get a full dressing room saying, yeah, we really wanted this guy. There are always going to be some in there that wanted the other guy. And it always was down between those two, irrespective of, it was, you know, this, this stuff about Lopetegui and, and, and Enrique, they were never, ever really credible candidates. I think that was just United trying to give the impression that they were casting the net wider than just just two candidates. Um, but those those players weren't consulted on the managerial process and, and they shouldn't have been either because they they vetoed that right long, long ago with their performances. And so, you know, I think the fact that there was a split on Ten Hag and some find him, found him underwhelming, that, that was that was ultimately another another reason to appoint him. Exactly. It's almost a catcher as this podcast. You don't choose your boss. So you've got to deal with it. And that sort of, yeah. you need the player power, player power to be challenged. If they were getting the player, the manager they wanted in, then that would be a problem in itself. Like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean it. And again, 
what are we, nine years now after Sarks Ferguson retired, there is no correct formula. There is no guaranteed winning manager or style that you need. So why not Ten Hag? That should be the question, really. And everyone needs to get behind him now that he is the United manager. Samuel, then, not sure when we'll be back again this week to do a podcast, but like we said, it is Chelsea on Thursday. And, you know, we've got that horrendous 15-day gap coming up as well between the uh, penultimate yeah. game and the last game of the season. So this is just as busy as it's going to get in terms of fixtures now for United with the next three on the horizon. <sighs> Champions League football is gone, but do you think that that could make United play with without the pressure maybe? I mean, obviously the players are going to say that it's still mathematically impo- it's still mathematically possible and they've not given up hope of top four football. But in a way, does confirmation that United are going to be playing on Thursday nights next season mean that they can go out a bit bit more freedom, like you said, maybe be a bit more experimental with their team selections as well? I mean, the, the way they've played recently, they've not really they've not really looked like they've they've wanted enough. I remember I remember messaging Ty just before the the Everton game. I think it was the night Everton lost at Burnley. Still saying that you can make a compelling case for United not to win any of their remaining games, and they've lost three of the four since. And the only one they won, they were very fortunate to win, and that was against one of the worst teams. Uh, sorry, the worst team in the league. Norwich are, are bottom, and the. I mean, somehow they're not mathematically down yet, but they've been down for pretty much, pretty much the moment they they got back up into the Premier League. I think it depends on selections. I think he does need to jolt the team um, by bringing uh, fresh blood in. Whether he does that or not, I don't know. I mean, if, if anything, it's the masochist in, in, in Rangnick might relish just playing the same old players, seeing them underperform again, and then throwing them under the bus. I mean. The, the, Probably the most exciting thing about the running is is going to be his press conferences. I, I hope that they um, live up to the expectation. Although you, the, you know the, the bar has been raised significantly high after Friday, which was um, you know, really compelling stuff. What he said to us in the in the embargo section, it was it was just as well um, that the embargo changed because normally when it when it started this season for the open section. The embargo has been lifted 15 minutes later, which is no benefit for us filing copy or MUTV trying to get the footage out because the window's too short. Normally it's half an hour after it started. And it was just as well this time because I think the press conference lasted the best part of 25 minutes because of how much he said in the embargo section to us. He's he's cutting loose. He, he has indirectly named names as well uh, in his, in his post-match assessments. Uh, I think... Was it Leicester? He, he said about Alanga and, and Sancho that the chances that they missed in that draw. Uh, it was Lindelof's pass to Langer for the third Liverpool goal that he had a he had a particular issue with. I think I think there's every chance that he will start you know narrowing down his criticism to individuals. So that's good for us, and I think it's, it's also good for United fans. I think United fans are relishing it as well. The way the season has has spiralled and. You know, if, if again with this Chelsea game, there's a way of it. There's a way for it to reflect embarrassingly on them because Chelsea's minds, as far as the league is concerned, um, that th- their focus isn't really that intense. There seems to be a hangover from that Madrid defeat, somewhat understandably, because they really should have gone through to the Champions League semi-finals. They have got the FA Cup final to prepare for, but I, I think that's still just under three weeks away. So that's still a long way off and. There's some squad issues there, and there's also the take you know, the, the takeover issue as well that's been hanging over the club for for quite some time. So in some ways, it's not a surprise that Chelsea are looking a bit fragile at the moment. But 
they're, they're still a superior side than United. And if they I mean, if they play well at Old Trafford, they'll they'll probably win. But I suppose the interesting thing about these upcoming games is that how early United season is finishing at home because the Chelsea game's been brought forward by 17 days. It means the Brentford game next Monday is, is the last home game um, on, on the bank holiday. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a dreadful, it's a potentially dreadful week for United coming up. These two home games, promise of more protests on Thursday. Um, the, more defeats possibly at home it's it's not shaping up to be a particularly rosy week so hopefully they've got something in their back pocket that represents good news and they can put it out there to, to counter the possible bad news from uh, a couple of a couple of potentially bad results this is united one about saying it might be another meaningless contract extension for a player who didn't need one so that might be their way of trying to fight the fire but who knows we will see like we said with manchester news we'll be there every step of the way so samuel i guess the final question for you then i know you hate predictions united versus chelsea then what do you reckon another dismal home defeat or do you think there might be a rally response after the last two i don't think there'll be a and i don't think there'll rally i don't, I don't think this team has it in themselves to rally really it's, it's that much of a lost cause uh, just just looking at the table now it's you know, mathematically it, it isn't somehow it still isn't impossible for them to qualify for the Champions League but everyone knows it's gone the manager's pretty much saying it's gone the players have, have played as though it was gone quite some time ago as well uh, I mean it might it might actually be an underwhelming game but they've, they've got to get used to Thursday night football because it's it's Europa League or, or the Conference League next season. I suspect the Europa because um, because I don't think West Ham or Wolves have got it in themselves to to finish above United, which is, I suppose is a shame. Really, because I, I wouldn't mind a season not being in either of those those two competitions. I, I know you get some great trips, and we I've been very, 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 very fortunate to go to some um, beautiful places in, in the Europa League and. You were with me in Belgrade a few years ago, which was very scenic um, and, and a hell of an atmosphere as well at the mm. Partizan Belgrade Stadium. Uh, but those competitions... Astana, was that as nice? Astana was, was very interesting, yeah. That was interesting, going to Kazakhstan. Um, was it the Hague all- for... Was it yeah, Al- the Hague for uh, AZ Altmar. That was a horrendous game. Um, and they played Bruges that season, of course, in Linz was where everywhere was, was shutting down because of the pandemic, which was, again, an, another interesting trip. So you, you can get some very good trips, but those competitions are just absolutely dire until you get to the last 16 or the quarterfinal stage, which, again, I, I just do away the group stage and do it straight knockouts. So I think that's that would make it a lot more exciting, but I'm starting to... As we said before we came on, it's, it's like Statter and Waldorf rolled into one with me when, when we do these two-handers and I'm re- reminiscing about the glory days of the Cup Winners' Cup in the in the 90s now and when the Europa League was called the UEFA Cup. So uh, be- before I be- sound any more detached from, from modern football, I, I think I should stop it there. Yeah, it was quite a good sales pitch though. You got me almost excited for the Europa League next season. I'm not <laughs> sure Cristiano Ronaldo will see it the same way. You'll have to convince no, him a bit more that's no, worth his while. Expect. But 
like we said, we will be there every step of the way and we'll be with you every step of the way this week as well. All the build-up to United's game against Chelsea on Thursday on the Manchester Evening News website and there will be another podcast, at least one this week, either one, another one before Chelsea or at least one afterwards as well to reflect on it and look ahead to Brentford next week. Samuel Lutkus, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. And thank you very much once again, wherever you are in the world. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. And we'll see you again next time.